Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, y'all. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing anymore. It's been it's it's been a minute. Uh, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squirrel and Terry starting off all the way up at the top of the day. Uh, we're here with your weekly knock activism wrap up today. We're going to be talking about. Oh, Jesus. Uh, more coronavirus stuff. Some good news for a change, which is nice. And some better yeah. news which is actually very welcome. Terry's going to tell us about this fascinating uh, a pronouncement out of France that has a lot of potential uh, fall-on ramifications here in the United States. Um, we're also going to be talking a little bit about some uh, goings-on with the cops, as usual, uh, both in here in Los Angeles, Los Angeles County, uh, and as well as over in Buffalo, New York. Uh, took, taking a moment to, to rep some of the people's action uh, family of organizations and some bullshit with the cops that's involved in all that. So, uh, but before we get going too far into this, uh, Squirrel, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, in case nobody noticed, uh, we had another impeachment this week, or at least an attempted, <laughs> an attempted impeachment. Uh, and uh, yeah, it went about as well as everyone could, uh, could have hoped. Uh, congratulations to the Trump family on completing their buyout of the Republican Party. I think everyone now understands that the GOP 100% belongs to Donald Trump. And uh, with his history of bankrupting businesses, I, have, uh, I got some high hopes for, uh, for what's coming down the pipe. But uh, 57 U.S. senators voted to convict, 43 voted to not convict. Uh, and since constitutionally, you need two-thirds majority in order to convict a president, uh, he was not convicted. Uh, and part of the reason this matters is because if Trump was convicted and impeached fully by the Senate, then they could bar him from ever holding federal office again and thus stop him from running, pres running for president. And despite the fact that all of these GOP senators, uh, including Mitch McConnell, have sort of come out and said, like, hey, we think Trump is a bad guy and he was totally responsible for what happened and, like, we don't like him, uh, they didn't want to take the steps to uh, stop him from running for president ever again. And that includes Mitch McConnell, who voted not to convict and then immediately took to the mic to decry Donald Trump, uh, showing once and for all just what a useless pile of shit Mitch McConnell actually is. Um, so yeah, 2024, um, I saw this very like sad prediction <laughs> oh, where no. someone was like, I'm calling it now. Kamala Harris is going to lose to Donald Trump in 2024. And like, I want that to not be true. I really <laughs> want it to not be true. No. But with the short goldfish like memory that this country has, uh, by the time 2024 rolls around, COVID will all have been a bad dream and people will be fat and happy with all of their Bitcoin earnings, and we'll, we'll forget the absolute hellish hell that was the hell world of Donald Trump. So, uh, big things to look forward to, folks. Big things. Uh, Terry, how are you doing? Well, before we move uh, on, what's, what's the story with the, uh, the I'm peachy? Oh, I, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm peachy. It's a play on, the, on, on impeachment, because I'm peachy. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we we have very, uh, it's very Terry's, high level Terry's miming here. the rim shot there yeah. for those very, of us listening at home. It's it's a very high level humor, folks. Very like very high level. You know, <laughs> it went we're, we're not straight just, over not my just, head. So. We're not just dad jokes. We're granddad jokes. <laughs> oh, <nice>. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Terry, how are you doing uh, over on the eastern seaboard? Where uh, according to the news, you're all about to freeze to death. 
I just raced uh, the overnight snowfall uh, to get my trash out to the street corner where it <laughs> will be buried in the night. As trash is anyway, I mean, just somewhere else in a landfill. I think uh, playing off the, off this uh, impeachment bit, though, like we really are missing an opportunity to talk about the Democrat side. Yeah. Uh, and uh, all I'm reading in the, in, in, the, in the media is how the 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 House members who were involved, it's catapulting their career. They have higher aspirations after this enormous failure uh, that that didn't call any witnesses, didn't put anything into well, the they, historical record. They had the chance to call witnesses, and then they backed off for no reason. Yeah. And so now, uh, as is uh, common in our politics, you can, they can fail to hire office. So that, that'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. And Chris, we'll round it out with you. How are you doing this week? Uh, I, it, 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 yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's the same stuff over and over again. Well, but we should mention that tomorrow you're going to be live tweeting and you're going to have a new banter buddy. Uh, so oh, that's we're adding true, yeah. all new features to uh, to your live tweeting <laughs> hell. So at least that should be good. Like there'll be somebody there to either descend into madness with you or pull yeah. you back from the brink. We're not sure which. Well, so Shelby from Knock is going to be joining me for the live tweets, and that should be a lot of fun. Uh, Shelby uh, does work with Knock. Uh, Shelby is not an expert on city council, so hopefully I will be uh, called out when I do stuff and say stuff that insiders understand, but everybody else doesn't. Um, and also just generally having it not just be my uh, cranky ass on Twitch just shouting into the microphone all morning. Well, so I, I, I have, I have to imagine with uh, the plan to reopen K through six education literally tomorrow, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a real interesting day at council. So, uh, for any of you all listening, uh, either tonight or tomorrow morning when the podcast goes live, tune in to watch a uh, city council uh, do their thing because it should be also, exciting. But before that happens, at nine a.m. tomorrow, there is going to be a presser. Uh, being hosted by Stop LAPD Spying. Uh, I know what it's about, but we're under a press embargo, so we can't talk about it. But it's, it's, it's going to be big. Good. It's good. You should tune in at 9 a.m. Um, I might try to put something on here about it, but probably just relying upon uh, Stop LAPD Spying's own technical capacity to uh, get their own stuff out on Instagram Live and everything else because they know what they're doing. Um, but yeah, so th that'll be, that'll be good. That'll be big. Uh, please tune in for that. Um, uh, I think that pretty much takes us <laughs> after our technical glitch. Uh, I think it's time to, uh, time to bring Trinidad in. Eh? Yeah, let's do that. Let's talk about the right. revolution that's going on and all of the big, the big things, things happening. happening. Hey, hey cat, cat on, on the, the zoom. Hey everybody. How's, how's it going? going? Good. 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 Dad, how are you doing? Dad, dad. I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. Uh, you know, here with I'm so happy with that title. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, we were going to talk about tenant stuff, stuff, but I think, I think we, we should just talk, talk about your cat instead. instead. Oh, man. Yeah, that, that's oh. neat. Homes too. <laughs> they, they do. Yeah, they do. Um, yeah, they seem to sense when I'm on, you know, Zoom or in some meeting, and they just, you know, they just plop over here. I had another one on my shoulder. Uh, a second ago, so let's get let's get you down, Weddle, because I can't pet you and talk at the same time. Um, 
So, so yeah, so well, I was going to say, so uh, for folks who may not be familiar, uh, give us some of your bona fides just real quick. I know you do a lot of work around L.A., uh, but tell us about your, your tenant work uh, specifically before we get into what's been going on. Sure. Um, I've been organizing with the Tenants Union for about almost six years now. Um, Co-founded the Vibe Local of the Tenants Union, which is, stands for Vermont de Beverly. Uh, yeah, we've been organizing in the areas of um, Silver Lake, Echo Park, um, uh, Koreatown, Westlake, um, Rampart, Oakwood. We were organizing in East L.A., uh, excuse me, East uh, Hollywood, uh, but that became its own local. And there's another local coming pretty soon that's going to be in MacArthur Park. So our area nice. where, we're, where we're organizing is shrinking, which is good because it was just, it was too big. Um, yeah, uh, me and Jacob organized one of the largest rent strikes uh, in recent LA history at the Burlington. Jacob. Wucher. Jacob Thank Wucher. you. Everyone knows him from um, <laughs> the West Side, you know, every- Infamous Jacob Wucher, and, and now organizing at Hillside Via, which he and I and, and uh, members of CCED, Annie, Chris, Joe, um, organized in Chinatown. Um, so I have yeah. some news, too. Yeah. So what was the news last week coming out of City Council related to Hillside Villa? So this is really great news. Um, the City Council approved of the eminent, eminent domain to move forward and um, find the funds to purchase the building. Um, at nice. Hillside, yeah, and um, uh, you know it's going to be the first ever. I, as far as I could tell, I went, I, I sort of researched it. The first ever eminent domain of a building to save tenants from displacement, instead of eminent domain being used to displace tenants. You know, we have examples of it in Dodger Stadium, right? Uh, Chavez Ravine. Also, um, where the new stadium, where the Chargers and the Rams are going to play. Um, and then also, so sta- yeah, the Staples Center, LA Live, all of that. Those were, mm-hmm. those were actual uh, apartment buildings. And some of those family members were evicted from that and moved into Chinatown at this building, which um, they were going to be evicted again. But thanks to the action of the city council, they're going to find funds to purchase the building. Yeah, yeah. nice. So, and, and in talking about, um, you know, there's up some upcoming stuff that's really important. Um, so we have a series of actions coming up called, uh, we've titled it Seeds of the Tenant Revolution. Um, and there are about 18 locals now that are involved in the Tenants Union. Um, and each local is going to be doing some work, uh, doing some kind of action. The actions uh, should going to be have probably sometime in March. Um, they'll be mostly online. Um, there may be some in-person actions, but we're just not sure how that's going to go with COVID and, and all that. Um, so good. I have been seeing some stuff online uh, as far as like building cleanups and not just protests. Maybe you can talk a little bit about like some of the solidarity work that's going into this to helping maintain buildings that have been like um, it, it, uh, neglected by their slumlords. Right. Well, some of the uh, some of the solidarity work that we have been doing is is to really invest into some of these buildings. Um, you know, we have a bunch of skill sets within the tenants union. And some of those skill sets are, you know, plumber, roofer, you know, whatever, uh, electrician. And, you know, we help tenants out. Um, we recently did, uh, you know, in terms of some of the work, there's some tenants that are volunteering, uh, rather some members of the tenants union volunteering and doing that. Um, we recently did, um, uh, we recently dispersed funds from uh, also COVID. 
So the tenant union gathered from the membership that we collect uh, distributed those funds to members in the in the union, about $250. And the total about $100,000 worth of money went back to tenants. Nice, nice. And I know there's also some legislation that's in play here. Um, tell us a little bit about SB 91 and what kind of what we can expect from the state as we enter into this, because there have been some changes. The eviction moratorium has kind of been extended for a bit. There's some more not rent forgiveness, but more like landlord um, uh, um, subsidies that are coming out of this. But it's going to keep people in their homes is what I understand. Yeah. So um, SB 91 was basically um, an extension of AB 3088, which converted 100% um, of the rent from April until August into consumer debt. You know, you can't evict a tenant for consumer debt. And they can take a tenant to court, small claims court, starting in August of this year um, uh, to get all of that back rent back. So, um, but they run the risk that the judge will say, hey, you turned down 80% from April of last year until March of this year. So you know what, I'm gonna take it down. But, <clears throat> you know, they'd rather just roll the dice. Uh, we, <laughs> we, we think that they'll just roll the dice and, and try to, um, and try to get 100% of that money. I mean, debt is power, right? Um, as uh, Elizabeth Blaney um, from Unión de Vecinos has said. And so we have some leverage. Um, uh, how we use it, I don't know. Um, there are ideas out there, but uh, but yeah, SB 91 will protect tenants if you have not paid, and you've been able to pay any rent from eviction. Make sure that you have, there's a declaration form that says you've been affected, affected by COVID-19 for whatever reason, and you cannot pay all of the rent for uh, uh, every month from uh, February all the way to June. Now, mind you, you will receive 15-day notices from the landlords. They're doing that to cover themselves. So at the by the by August, they um, have that paperwork, that back paperwork that said that they were asking you for the funds, right? And they were actively asking you for those funds. So when they go before the judge, you know, they say, "Well, I tried. I asked for these funds. I would like 100% of all that rent." Um, so don't be worried about those 15-day notices. Don't be worried about the uh, three-day notices. Um, but make sure you send your COVID-19 declaration every first of the month until June. And uh, in June, we're going to do this dance all over again. I don't know where we'll be, but we'll see. Nice. Nice. And so uh, you did mention that uh, landlords are going to be able to take tenants to small claims court. Are there plans to start organizing around that? Or how does how do you think the tenants union is going to respond when we, we know that flood of lawsuits is coming? I mean, we there's right to counsel that we've been trying to pressure the uh, uh, the city and the state to do. So that's where. Uh, you know, in this case, though, in small claims, tenants aren't, I think, allowed to to, to have a lawyer. So I, I don't I, I mean, there is a group that is um, Healthy LA that is is working through some of this stuff. Um, we just mm -hmm. don't know um, how. And, and I, I should mention uh, Power People Organized for Westside Renewal is working with Healthy LA and the State Housed LA Coalition. So we are we are a part of some of the drive for the right to counsel. That's right. There's drive to the right to counsel. So we just we just don't know how this is all going to play out. We're kind of in uncharted territory, right? Uh, there are hundreds of thousands of tenants in the state of California, and we're thinking about 400,000 or so that might end up homeless if nothing happens. And a lot of these tenants are affected by COVID-19. I mean, we've never been in this situation. So we don't know how the courts, the small claim courts are going to be totally overwhelmed. Um, so we just don't know if the state will come in later to try to make landlords 100% whole. I think it's disgusting that any taxpayer money goes to any of these corporations. 
um, and 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 landlords. But you know, I mean, again, ongoing discussions happening, um, and uh, and and again, June will be back at it again. But there is no threat of eviction. So please, 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 if you get a 15-day notice, do not move out. Do not get scared. Uh, go to your local t uh, LA Tenants Union um, and 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 ask for help. Nice, nice. Uh, so uh, last thing I'm going to ask, for the, the seeds of the tenant revolution that's coming up in March, how can people plug in and how can they stay uh, abreast of everything that's going on? So just follow us on um, Facebook, on um, Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, email us. Um, and, again, reach out to what, the what are those out to What are the handles to follow? Oh, um, LA Tenants Union on Facebook. Um, and also LA Tenants Union on Instagram and LA Tenants Union um, on, uh, on, on Twitter. Cool, cool. All right, well, thank you so much, Trinidad. Like, that was really informative, and I'm sure we're going to have you back on as this continues to sort of escalate. Um, even though the state is beginning to reopen up and it seems like people are getting vaccinated, this pain is, has not started to set in yet. It's going to be it's going to be scary as we get closer to the middle of the year. Uh, so um, but definitely we'll keep you all uh, updated on what's happening. All right. All right. So, Chris, it's time for your favorite segment ever. Uh, let's talk about covid because covid is um, I don't it looks like it's waning a little bit in the state. I'm not sure how much I really trust the numbers. I, I for myself, am getting my second round of the Moderna vaccine on Sunday, and it looks like those numbers are steadily growing up. So uh, take us through this. All right. Well, uh, here we go. First things first, uh, the cumulative cases continue to climb because we have not actually slowed this down all that much. The slope is starting to go in the right direction, which is nice to see. Let me pull up the script now that I'm done with all of the crashing of the software today. Um, as of this recording, we now have 3,467,357 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the state of California. That's 67,287 new cases in the past week, which is a marked decline from the last few months. Uh, we had 4,512 new cases of the virus statewide yesterday, uh, with another 4,071 new cases so far today. So that means it's probably going to be continued. There's, there's, there's there's more more cases will be reported. That is um, that is a pretty that's a pretty big drop there. It looks like coming oh, out yeah. of the the holiday season that was just the absolute worst thing ever. Absolutely. So our 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 seven day moving average right now in the state of California is hovering right around ten thousand cases per day, uh, which is so much better, less than a quarter of what we were seeing, um, you know, just a month and a half ago. So this is very, very good news to be to be seeing. Um, but, you know, it's 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 obviously not perfect by any stretch. Um, we're still seeing the Latino population in the state suffering disproportionately with nine percent of the Latino population uh, being infected with covid, being confirmed infected with covid versus just over four percent for the black population, just under four percent for white Asians and slightly lower for the other category as far as the LA Times has decided to classify folks. Um, we are now up, let's see, uh, keep going through the slides. Our positivity rate for the testing has dropped significantly. Uh, it's down to 3.7%, which is a huge improvement over where we've been in the past. Uh, this is while testing is diminished, but not hugely so. So we're still seeing around 250,000 tests per day 
uh, being administered in the state of California with just three, three and a half percent of them coming back positive at this point. Uh, again, we were at something like 20% positivity in LA County at its peak. So things are dramatically improved. Um, the intensive care and other hospitalizations for COVID-19 have dropped off significantly in the state. We're down to around eight eight or 9,000 people hospitalized right now uh, with around 3,000 or so in intensive care units across the state. And this is also a very, very positive thing to be seeing. The availability of ICU beds across the state has jumped up to 1,530 at this point. Uh, which is significantly better than the thousand bed limp, uh, low point that it hit just uh, toward the end of January, not that long ago. The availability yeah. by region is significantly improved here in Southern California as well as the San Joaquin Valley. Uh, the Bay Area is also b- jumped back out of the 15% red zone, um, as has sac- the greater Sacramento, S- Sacramento region. I can speak, trust me. Mm-hmm. Northern California is still hovering right around 36%, which good for them. Uh, Southern California and San Joaquin are both at 10.5 and 10.6. Uh, so we're we're, so we're not out we're, of the woods, but we're yeah, on the but way. This, but so even though we're not over the 15% mark, we're still opening up the county, right? I, I mean, yes, we are, and that's that's um, a problem. We'll get we'll get to that uh, when we get to the LA County st- specific stuff. Um, relating to those categories that they've put us in that apparently don't mean anything. Um, Lassen County is still leading the way at 17% of their population having been infected with COVID, 17.6%. Imperial is at 14.8. Kings at 14.4. San Bernardino at 13.2. And Los Angeles is down at 11.6. So we're still not good, but, you know, I guess once you get enough people infected, uh, there is at least some level of immunity that is conferred and things start to slow down a little bit. Um, the number of deaths per by day, so our seven-day average of deaths by day, is still hovering around 400 for the state of California. Um, we're up to 47,114 deaths in the state due to the virus. 183 of those deaths yesterday, 70 so far today. Um, and yeah, like I said, the, the death total by day is still stubbornly lagging behind and not dropping off as much as we would hope for it to do. Uh, 2,882 deaths due to the virus over the state of, in, in the state of California over the past week. On a happier note, we're up to 6.15 million vaccines administered in the state of California with 212,868 jabs being, uh, got into arms yesterday. Uh, but so which it, is it looks where like need to be. <laughs> it looks like the the deaths that that were for a while very steady, even while our testing numbers were dropping, are finally beginning to come into line with that. Where we're yes. we're still seeing far too many people dying from this, but not at the like record breaking pace that we're seeing even a couple of weeks ago. Correct. It is slowly starting to taper off. Um, our state prison population um, COVID numbers, which we don't know what the veracity of these are. But this is what we get out of the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. So take it with a grain of salt. 48,819 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the state prison population. Again, that does not include federal prisons, immigration detention facilities, or local jails, which I believe includes all of L.A. County. Uh, So it's bigger. Yeah. There were some horror stories I was reading about prisoners being transferred and different facilities not being told about positivity rates and it causing oh, like massive spikes. And that led to 
basically solitary confinement for people that were transferred from one facility to another and just massive failures of the system just up and down the chain. That's super frustrating. Um, when we're looking here at Los Angeles in particular, we're up to 1,168,372 uh, confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the county as of 5.32 p.m. today, Monday, February 15th, with 1,670 new cases reported yesterday and another 1,820 so far today. We've had uh, only 19,026 new cases since we last recorded, which is still continuing to drop dramatically from where we were uh, just not that long ago. We can see like this This is very much looking like a, a steep mesa on a uh, terrain uh, like elevation plot, which is, you know, it's good to see that we are actually sliding down the other side of this and hopefully our new case count will continue to drop. I mean, this is, I think, largely the impact of having just completely gross incompetence uh, at the top that allowed for this virus to burn through our population uh, and just, you know, infect a huge number of people. Um, but, you know, eventually it runs out of new people to infect or at least not to, to infect as easily. And uh, so I guess we we can start to reopen things. It's not a good or cautious thing for them to be doing, but there's there is reason to have some hope. But... That being said, we're now seeing the new variants coming in, and those are highly transmissible, uh, highly more, like much more transmissible than the current version, uh, which is so well protected against with um, with the, the the vaccinations. Which again, those are not all about. They do seem to have an impact on transmission, but the point of the vaccine is to increase your survivability. It is to prevent mm -hmm. you from going to the hospital. It is to bring, prevent you from dying. And yeah. that's the point. So we're still going to be seeing these these uh, numbers kind of kind of rolling on in for a while here. When we look at our ICU numbers, the the number of people who are hospitalized with COVID has dropped down to around three thousand in LA County, which, considering we were eight thousand just a month ago, is a dramatic improvement. Uh, yeah. Our ICU beds uh, are also down to around a thousand occupancy. Our availability is now up to three hundred and sixty. It's not jumping that high. Presumably, this is because some of the more, shall we say, emergency ICU expanded capacity is starting to taper off. Um, mm -hmm. Things are starting to return to some semblance of normal at the hospitals. Uh, I hope. I mean, our, our frontline medical well, workers need a break, but Jesus. Um, yeah. But as, as to what you were mentioning earlier, Squirrel, the numbers that we're supposed to be using for whether or not we can start to reopen things, uh, we're, we're still in very dangerous territory. Like I had mentioned before, the positivity rate of our testing in the state is down to like 3.5, 3.6. But here in LA County, it's still at 9.5%, which is still 1.5% above the tier two category, which is where things are even supposed to be considered for reopening. So we're yeah. still at 9.5. We're supposed to get down to eight. But then when you look at our adjusted case rate, it's still at 31.7, where it's supposed to be below seven before we start to open stuff up. Like our tiers of <laughs> more like, than more than four times higher for those of you yeah, doing the math at home. It's terrifying. And then the same thing is true with the equity index, where we're at 13.0, whereas we're supposed to be below 8.0. So yeah. this is there is no standard 
that our elected officials have presented to us, our Department of Public Health has presented to us, there's no metric by which we are succeeding and are in any position where we would should feel confident moving forward with reopening things at this yeah. point. If and things are going to get get better as quickly as they say they are, then let's wait the next two fucking weeks and just make sure it happens. And before we before we move on to this kind of interesting story coming out of France, I did want to note, like, when it comes to the vaccine equity, we're still seeing all the same systemic racism playing out. I know of at least one case at a clinic in a very impacted community in L.A. where people are literally opening the back door for black residents who live in that neighborhood to come get vaccines because wealthier white people drive down and camp out beginning the night before the clinic opens to try and get the vaccines that are ready to go that day. And so people in that community have literally had to do an end run around the process to get their community the vaccines that they're supposed to be given. Like that clinic exists in that community to serve that community and people are sweeping in and eating up those vaccines before they can get into the arms of the people who really need it. But let's, um, let's talk well, some almost, vaccines. Almost done. There's, there's still, oh, okay. still the, the really depressing stuff. Too, too to much data. LA County. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, we're up to 19,095 deaths, uh, due to the virus in this County 75 yesterday. Uh, despite the drops in new cases, which we saw plummeting so quickly, uh, our seven-day average here in L.A. County is hovering just around 150 deaths per day, um, with 949 deaths over the last week. So, But on a happier note, we're up to 1.1, almost 1.2 million vaccines administered in the county, uh, yeah. with uh, 203,000 administered yesterday. Uh, so now, speaking of vaccines... yeah. So, uh, Terry, we're going to we're going to turn it to you because you're the one who uh, who found this uh, this story coming oh, out sure. of France. And hopefully you can explain it a little bit because it is a little bit technical what they're advising here. But it also has some some like positive impacts uh, as we move forward with with these vaccine regimes. Right. So uh, my French is not that great. But in uh, one of the main French daily newspapers, I, I ran across an article that uh, their health uh, ministry as uh, advised that uh, if people who have had COVID Remember, can have, you did send me a link to Sky News. I, I, did, send, I did send you a link to intro, yeah. Uh, the English one's more of a summary. But uh, yeah, yeah so if, pe- people who have had COVID, if you give them one dose of the vaccine of either the Pfizer or the Moderna, um, they will produce an immune response that is comparable to a person who has not had covid getting two doses of the of the vaccine so mm, okay. uh, yeah so there are like two or th- i think two or three small small studies i mean less than 200 people in these in these studies um but that show that if you've had covid in the past i think three to six months one vaccine dose kind of acts as the as the second dose booster right mm-hmm because um, your antibodies are your immune system's already been primed, you get one dose. There you go. And so France has become the first country to actually authorize this um, to roll this out. And I'm finding it. I mean, especially in a place like LA, where you know things have been so hard hit, so many people have had COVID. You start to wonder, well, how are we going to protect those people, right? Because um, a lot of the the really bad reactions, and there aren't that many, but the really bad reactions to the second dose of a vaccine, turns out that person had COVID and they didn't know it. 
at some mm. point in the recent past. And so you can't, you know, up until this study, these studies, and up until now, you, you wouldn't have been able to vaccinate people who had COVID. And so what what would we have done? And this just seems like really promising. Also, keeping in mind that we're still running into very large scale supply problems of vaccine. And so places that don't or can't have can't access it um, and poor countries, poor parts of this country, um, poor communities within wealthier parts of this country, you know, where you're running into into supply issues. Well, you can vaccinate twice as many people because you don't need the second dose. Um, so it's going to run. I mean, I'm sure we're going to run into all kinds of ethical and, and policy problems of like, OK, well, how do we prioritize people who have had it and everything else? Or do you want to just like, OK, we've got X number. Do we want to vaccinate more people or do we want to keep going with the two dose, get people protected, you know, that kind of stuff? Who knows? I mean, this is all far from over. I'm watching the, I was, you know, watching your, the graphs and the, yeah, it looks like a Mesa and we're coming down the other side. After all that hard work over the holidays, the virus is sleepy, right? It needs a nap yeah. before spring <laughs> So, Well, and with the with the Jesus new Christ. variants that are becoming, like, more prevalent, like we said, based on the modeling, the B117, which is the UK variant, is going to be the dominant variant in the U.S. in the next month. Just in and time for spring hooray. break. And that, and that is going to burn through us like wildfire, right? Um and it seems it seems as the vac uh, the vaccines in in relation to to that one, as well as the South African variant, uh, they keep you from going to the hospital. They don't keep you necessarily from getting sick. And we still have no idea what they do about do for transmission. So yeah. it's we got a long road ahead of us. So uh, but, I, maybe yeah. maybe you can answer this. Maybe maybe not. Um, in order to get this like uh, to to be in this one shot category, do they need to run like a titer test or like an antibody test on you, or how are they determining like who only needs one shot? It's through an antibody test, and or okay, or either antibody test or if you like can confirm like well, yes, I know that I had it four <laughs> months ago. Uh, yeah, that that puts you in that category. Yeah, because I know here here in uh, L.A. at least. Um, if you've had COVID within the, the last 90 days, they push you to the back of the vaccine line. They assume that you already have effective immunity for a bit and then yeah. say you don't need to be vaccinated. And it's interesting that we might be changing that. And that could actually flip the script because a lot of the most impacted communities are finding themselves locked out of the vaccine because it's like, oh, well, my community in East Los Angeles just went through a big COVID spike almost everyone caught it well now we're at the back of the line when in yeah. fact those people should probably be at the front of the line uh, they should and and then it, it's gonna come down to like well what what's the the cap on on how mm -hmm. long ago you had it i mean this these france is saying six months we're into the first we're coming up on the first year anniversary of the yeah. of the pandemic so everyone that had it in the first wave i mean they don't have natural immunity anymore yeah um so you know, are they going to be in line for a two dose? I mean, so there's a lot to a lot to keep kind of figuring out with yeah. this. But and one, and then uh, before we oh, go ahead, Chris. I was going to say one of the hopeful things that I saw uh, popping up in the news recently. I didn't link to the article or anything, um, but they've also just discovered that the they can put more doses of the vaccine into the vials. So potentially increasing the number of doses that they can ship out with any in in any shipment, which <laughs> is 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 great. I mean, yeah. it doesn't well, solve been, that bottleneck been, of. They've been finding that anyways, because they were filling these these doses so quickly yeah. that they weren't being as exact on the counting. So a lot of healthcare workers were finding 
there's supposed to be seven doses in here, but I can get an eighth, a ninth, sometimes a tenth dose out of this same vial. So a lot of the rush to get stuff out the door was kind of um, creating problems, but in a good way. Yeah, and now hopefully if they're able to put more doses, even more doses into the vials, then you know that hopefully will mean good things uh, for the distribution. It still doesn't solve the problem of the 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 super the super refrigeration super freezer uh, requirements, which are really just you know at the root of all of the issues with this, especially when we start talking about distributing the vaccine to other portions of the world where there isn't the same level of healthcare infrastructure available as decimated as our healthcare system is it still has the freezers around uh which is a huge leg up on a, a you know a large number of uh, sub-saharan african countries uh and other countries around the world that just you know have been decimated by decades and decades of imperialism so yeah yeah well, the, the, free, the freezer infrastructure is its own unique problem. But uh, one thing to think about <clears throat> is the global supply chain, right? That, like, who is it that in a normal year manufactures everything uh, from vaccines to any, any other? I mean, it's, it's India, right? And, and mm -hmm. the, yeah. the, the production the capacity that they have um, is really incredible. And so as things kind of keep rolling along and 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 it this flows into the normal global supply chain i mean uh one uh corporation a uh, privately owned cor family corporation in, in india pr vaccine producer they bet big last year um and just ramped up production on four separate vaccines just bet betting that one of them would be approved and and i think one or, or even two of them have been and so i mean they're they're wow. raking they're raking it in right now but they were ready I mean, they were ready to to send millions of doses the day after the thing was approved, and so um, yeah, I think I think it's not going to be this dire for for so long. We're still going to face a lot of inequities, but there are other countries in the world that are doing a lot of the stuff also. So that's great. Yeah. We, we can always hope. So, <clears throat> so uh, before, before we move, oh hold on, I want to I want to ask before we move on. Uh, uh, being seeing as you are an educator at a at an educational uh, institution of some sorts, and we are getting ready to open up schools here in LA, I just want to see how your school is dealing with this stuff. Oh, it's uh, well the the testing <laughs> the testing regimen that they have in place. I mean, uh, the university that I work for they built their own lab so that they can process testing um, overnight. Uh, they're testing students once a week. CDC suggests twice a week as uh, is, is optimal for, but they're also doing surveillance testing. So the testing is good. The problem is behavior. I mean, so right now we have a cluster going on uh, that's traced back to a couple of parties. Um, also some student athletes that were celebrating maskless after, after a win. Um, you know, so we've got, we've got some problems uh, for sure. Uh, I have, I have one student that just, just contacted me to say that they're, they will be attending virtually because uh, they're going to their home state of Massachusetts for their second vaccine. And so I, I have no idea why a, a college student, I mean, and I don't know health issues or, you know, you know, but that strikes me as a little bizarre. I'm not scheduled for my first dose for another you know, two weeks or so. Um, so it's not great, uh, but, but it would also be very different for K through 12. And I don't want, I don't want to presume to tell teachers unions what they should or shouldn't feel um, in terms of like their their safety uh, or their working conditions, because um, you know a private one of the most expensive private universities in the country 
um, has very different capabilities than uh, LAUSD, right? Uh, and so their conditions are, are, are much different. Also, the learning conditions for the students. I mean, I get it, right? I mean, young kids, I mean, they, yes, they need, they can't have the screen time. It's just not going to work. Um, but, what, but what can you do? We don't have many options. Whereas for, for university, um, you know, professor at USC, uh, the Pulitzer Prize winner Viet Thanh Nguyen just wrote an op-ed today in the New York Times saying that he likes teaching on Zoom. It, it's working great. And, and for, for, for graduate students, yeah, yeah, it works great. You know, for, for K through 12, it maybe doesn't work as well. So, yeah, you know. For sure. No, it's it's going to be interesting to see as we're as we're going into this. And now, Chris, I'll go to you because I, I rudely cut you oh. off there. No, 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 no. Don't 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 stress about it. I just wanted to flag for everybody that uh, there is a just gut wrenching story in the New York Times. Uh, the headline is the vaccine had to be used. He used it. He was fired. Um, this. I mean, uh, gigantic red flags about all of the things that are broken in our healthcare system. Uh, there's just one one quote i wanted to pull from it before we move on to talk about uh the let's well, we can hit the LAUSD stuff right after this um quote tired and frustrated dr gokal said that he turned to his wife whose pulmonary uh sarcoidosis i'm sorry i can't pronounce things made her eligible for the vaccine quote i didn't intend to give this to you but in a half an hour i'm going to have to dump this down the toilet he recalled after telling her it's as simple as that end quote um i Holy shit! How how does this get somebody fired? Um, and and the pr the prosecutor who uh, like the district attorney in this area ran as a reformer as a progressive prosecutor, and she was full of shit. Like prosecuting this doctor makes absolutely no sense. Here in LA, I will say in LA County we have what are called midnight pods. So at the county run sites, when they have leftover doses at the end of the day, they send them to a midnight pod and people who are signed up and can show up in time can get that jab before they go bad. So this is a lot of frontline communities, a lot of people who are unhoused, people who are in contact with or get their, their uh, medical uh, insurance through Medi-Cal are able to get these doses for free. And that's something that A, it took them a little bit of time to get ramping up, but B, is exactly what we should be doing across this country where we know doses are getting wasted and rather than giving them to people who sit in line at the end of the day, like all day waiting for a dose, they go to communities that we know need the doses first. And like, that's an actual rational way to solve this problem. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But yeah, so speaking of, of, of vaccinations and teachers and school and kids, uh, as you mentioned at the top of the show, Squirrel, there is going to be a there's a push going on right now uh, from the county board of supervisors. Uh, both I believe it's both Janice Hahn and Catherine Barger who just have decided that they just hate teachers, um, yeah. and they're they're pushing for the the reopening of K K through six I believe uh, yeah. education um, immediately. And and the United Teachers Los Angeles. Uh, is not happy about that idea. They're demanding 25,000 uh, vaccinations, which is 25,000 teachers being vaccinated, two rounds of vaccination of, of, of jabs um, before it is safe in their minds to reopen the schools for these K through six. Um, I find it amusing that uh, Joe Buscaino, city councilman from the 15th district down in San Pedro and that little spindly section of the city of Los Angeles that follows the 110 freeway down to the port. Um, he 
has uh, apparently just decided that he's going to go to war with the largest teachers union, I believe, in the country. Uh, well, or at least and... he's he's going to try in an incredibly stupid move that even Mike Fuhrer is like, no, let's not do that. Um, you know, Austin Austin Butner, uh, even like even Austin Butner came out and was like, how about we don't fuck with the uh, UTLA folks because they uh, they're kind of really hardcore. Yeah, absolutely. But then this, this the 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 headline here in this article that they're that they're quoting in their tweet, um, you know, so, I'll, I'll just read the tweet. So Busca quote. So Busca you know, threatens to sue LAUSD to force unvaccinated public school educators back to campus while a private school is allowed to skip the line. The system is so stacked against low income communities of color and the schools that serve them. Hashtag make it safe. The the point here is that there is a private school uh, that managed to get. Um, what was it? A hundred of their teachers through uh, and and vaccinated, and they were bragging about this to their teachers, who are you know understandably concerned that they want to make sure that they could, that their kids at this very private uh, this private very expensive school are able to go back and start attending in person again, um, because there does. I mean, seem if you're to be... if you're paying fifty thousand dollars a year in tuition, I can understand the desire to see things move forward, but at the same time. Uh, what the fuck is this? So yeah. it's a, it's it's a it's a disaster. Um, but it is pretty funny watching the uh, city council uh, just kind of destroying itself over this, or at least one member of the city council uh, really just going on a very bizarrely quixotic, uh, qui- qui- quixotic, quixotic. I can't pronounce it. Yeah, I can't pronounce it when it's. I I, his name I caught is you before Terry did because like Terry would probably you know give you a big fat F on that one. <laughs> Uh, Fair enough. Um, but yeah, I, uh, fuck you, Joey Buckets. That's 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 the long and short of this one. Um, and, and real quick, just to tie this to kind of broader labor issues. Go this, for it. Because this just happened in Chicago also. I mean, the teachers were ready to Yes. Start. <laughs> fuck um, Lori Lightfoot too. Exactly. But uh, <laughs> if, if we remember, what was this, is this 2017, 2018 – uh, was it that that far back? The the red for Ed and and the West Virginia yep. teachers strike. All these, I mean, the yep. Wildcat strikes across the country, and and successful strikes inspire more successful strikes, right? So the the teachers unions have been building and organizing local power for for a couple of solid years now. They flex their muscle. They've made some. They haven't won everything, but they've made some gains, and that kind of momentum builds on itself so when when covid comes around and when you've got a city council or you've got a mayor that's saying get back in the classroom they now know their power and can and can (laughs) just sort of say you know what we're we're not going to go do that um you're you're going to rethink this plan and 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 that's exactly what we need and we need it we need it in more industries right yeah yes Um, i mean amazon just had that big win out in alabama of all states uh and i think that's going to set the tone for a lot of the labor organized yeah, the Amazon workers. Thank you. Not yeah. Amazon, uh, but the, the people who Bezos. work for Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> but for, for those of you following along at home, what's going to have to happen next is that Joey Buckets, uh, he's taken this plan to city council. He's introduced the motion. It's going to have to be voted on by the rest of city council who will have to order the L.A. city attorney to do this. It's probably not going to pass. Um, there also is some rumblings that Austin Butner and Mayor Garcetti are going to try and like cut it off at the pass and just come up with a school reopening plan so that like this lawsuit never has to come to fruition. Um, but it does look like Governor Newsom and the rest of the, the people in power 
are committed to getting students back into the classroom before the summer. Um, Partly, I think, because they have a lot of charter school uh, donors who are losing a lot of money because they only get paid when their butts in the seats, as it were, uh, but also because they're losing out on a lot of federal funding because they're not like you only get paid for the actual days that you're operating. And I think when our state and the nation had an opportunity to begin to innovate new ways of learning and to like look into community learning pods and smaller scaled learning and not just like warehousing students in massive public school facilities, they decided, no, we don't wanna do that, that's complicated. Let's just shove all the students back into the learning factory and get those uh, diplomas rolling in so that we can keep like moving on and pretending that we're worthwhile Democrats. And I think this is just really more of that. Um, and it's I, I, I don't think it's going to work out well. We can't vaccinate kids yet. If you're under 16, you cannot get the vaccine. There are vaccines for children being worked on, but none of them are proven yet. So, like, we have a vulnerable population that is going to just be thrown into this grinder. And I have a feeling we're going to see COVID clusters developing very quickly in LAUSD schools. Yeah. And we talk about children like, oh, their immune systems are. Oh, well, that was Trump. But, you know, that they, they don't necessarily come down with symptoms or so on and so forth. There have been a number of college-age students that have died. I mean, since yeah, January, yeah. since this semester has started, um, you know. There so was it really a, there does... was an NCAA basketball player who collapsed on the court. I think two months after he had COVID, with um, severe tissue damage to his heart. And like, we're learning more about how COVID is not just a respiratory thing; it's a it, it's a pulmonary disease, and it yep. really messes up a lot of the uh, the functions of your body. I've been seeing some studies that showed that the COVID brain fog is actually coming from, um, they're finding uh, bone marrow uh, cells in people's brains, that the body is malfunctioning in all sorts of ways that we're not used to. And that's the Holy other scary shit. thing is giving COVID more chances to spread and mutate means that we could be seeing some really, really dire variants of this coming in the next couple of years. Okay, that bone marrow thing is the most horrifying thing I've heard all week. I don't. <laughs> I... Jesus Christ. No, it's pretty it's pretty bad. But yeah, let's so uh, let's uh, let's wrap up our vaccine talk here and then we're going to get into uh, everybody's uh, favorite boys in, in blue. Um, we're nope, going to talk this about is the khaki. This is khaki. khaki. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Chris, uh, let's uh, let's start off talking about uh, L.A. Sheriff's Department and uh, the case of Dijon Kizay, who was murdered in September by two LAUSD deputies. Or I know it was the, the end of August. I can't remember exactly. It was right around the beginning of September, end of August. Yeah. So Dijon Kizzy was, was um, you know, I, I've, I've seen his uh, partner uh, speak at BLM rallies a number of times. Um, just absolutely destroyed by his murder at the hands of the, of the sheriff's department. Uh, he was 29. Uh, he was on his bike. Um, he was shot. Uh, 16 times by sheriff's sheriff's deputies after he was um, uh, pulled over for an alleged bike violation. There's no actual evidence that uh, there was, you know, anything that he had done wrong. Um, but they just were on uh, on the prowl. It appears, uh, and so now they're they're suing LA uh, LA County for 35 million dollars. Um, which good for them. Um, this, this is one of those things. I really wish that these kinds of suits, uh, came out of the cop pensions rather than out of the general tax fund, uh, coffers. But, you know, uh, until we fix that broken ass aspect of our city and county, um, budgeting system, 
we're 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 stuck with all of uh, these headaches. And my 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 hope is that these kinds of lawsuits will provide an impetus to uh, the county and the city to be better about these things. Like that thirty-five million dollars that they're suing for, you know, that's ten million dollars shy of you know buying Hillside Villa. Like mm-hmm. there's there's imagine what could be done if they they didn't have to spend it trying to um, make amends for the fact that we have the one of the most deadly uh, armed gangs in the country uh, running around in L.A. County uniforms, uh, you know, shooting taxpayer funded bullets uh, out of taxpayer funded guns uh, into victims who the taxpayers then pay the families of for the wrongful deaths that so often happen. Um, the whole system is fucked, but I, I, I'm thrilled to see that uh, Dijon's family is uh, pursuing a $35 million claim. There's really not much else to this story other than the fact that, you know, it, it's this is this is basically the only way that these families are able to get any semblance of 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 not. It's not justice because if it was justice, he wouldn't be dead. Um, but the only way that they can get anything uh, approaching compensation out of all of this is that you ha- they have to sue uh, for massive amounts of money because the county isn't going to do anything about these deputies. Uh, the county isn't going to do anything about the, the broken-ass sheriff's department, um, despite all of the grandstanding that was done by members of the county board of supervisors over the summer, standing up to Alex Villanueva. He is still, you know, he is currently in electioneering mode for, you know, his next run for office because he wants to get reelected. Um, meanwhile, which I've, we forgot to include it this week, uh, he got caught trying to build a helipad uh, on on SoCal yeah. gas land that he didn't ask for permission to start uh, grading and construction and did the grading and construction, uh, the, 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 the outlines of it at least. Uh, in the first place, and is now, uh, I guess, the sheriff's department is being sued by SoCal Gas as well. So the sheriff's department is completely run amok, and and it, it's it's totally fucked. Yeah, and I, I I will point out before we move on here that we covered a couple of years ago that out of all of the departments in the county, out of all of the agencies in the county, the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department accounted for the greatest share, I believe, a majority of the settlements paid out in any given year. And over the course of a decade, accounted for something like 65% of all the settlements paid out, even though they are, even though they're just one agency. Now, they do have the most employees out of any of those agencies. We're talking about about 10,000 civilian and sworn officers employed by LASD. At the same time, though, you have massive agencies like LADWP that do not face the kind of liability that the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department does. No word uh, yet on whether or not this shooting will be investigated by Gascon's office. I know that the officers were basically cleared by the sheriff's internal investigators who, you know, we know, we saw those guys basically perjure themselves in the Andres Guardado um, inquest. We know that the sheriff's department is not trustworthy when they're investigating their own officers. Um, and this is, you know, just more of the same bullshit. Let's uh, let's hop over to the other side of the country, though, over to, to closer to where Terry is. And let's talk about this story out of Buffalo. Uh, so two Buffalo PD officers are not going to be facing charges. Uh, they Their case, uh, the, their name is, uh, sorry, Robert McCabe and Aaron uh, Torgalski, 
uh, two Buffalo PD officers were charged with second-degree assault. Uh, their case went in front of a grand jury, which I don't know why their case had to go in front of a grand jury because, like, most second-degree assault cases in L.A. County don't go before grand juries, and the grand jury decided to not um, pursue or decided to not press the, the charges against them, uh, which is concerning because, like, a common joke when you listen to, like, or watch like Law and Order or anything that has to do with like propaganda is they say a prosecutor could get a ham sandwich indicted. So it's weird that cops keep going in front of grand juries and not being indicted. <laughs> Depends on but, what the pork is from. Yeah, all right, fair enough. Touche. <laughs> yeah. I'm very but, proud of myself for that one. <laughs> yes. But um, one of the reasons we're, we're bringing this story up again is because the person who was assaulted, um, uh, Martin Gugino, is a 75-year-old peace activist and a longtime organizer with People's Action, which is the same national organizing uh, umbrella that Ground Game and People Organized for Westside Renewal belongs to. So, like, this is literally one of our comrades assaulted by the police doing something that we and our comrades do all the time. Uh, Martin is 75 years old, like I said. He ended up in the hospital with a skull fracture. He has since recovered. Mm -hmm. He is suing the department to, uh, you know, uh, get some some um, um, shit, some justice, I guess. It's, you know, not really justice, but to, least, yeah. there we go. That's the word I'm looking for. Some mm. compensation for the injuries and the medical bills that, that he has had to suffer. Um, but this is, again, just cops getting away with absolute crimes and nothing being done to stop them. This also made um, national news when the video went viral because Martin's just standing there and two cops literally just walk up and shove him and decide to not render aid, even though it's very clear that he is injured immediately upon falling and hitting his head. Um, it, it's, you know, don't expect to see less of this as like we see the Democrats try and rehabilitate the cops image vis-a-vis -vis the, the January 6th insurrection and show that no, no, cops are the good guys. The police are going to feel more empowered, feel like they can do this again. Like last summer yeah. wasn't that long ago, even though it feels like it was lifetimes ago. We all made it into the streets to make sure that the cops couldn't do this stuff. We can't stop. We can't give that up. We have to keep fighting for this stuff. Um, so a couple of updates on stories that we've been following for a bit. Uh, outside of uh, Sheriff Alex's um, or Dr. Sheriff Alex's uh, failed helicopter pad, there hasn't been too much going on. Something we will talk about next week because we want to take a little bit of time to dive into it is the fact that Metro Division is being deployed to South Los Angeles to yes. try and reduce violent crime in South LA. This is a really fucked up story and it's got a, a lot of like different moving parts. We want to make sure that we do it justice in our reporting on it. But we will be talking about that next week. But before we head out for the week, uh, I did want to talk a, about something that's uh, kind of fun. Kind of weird, kind of terrible. Uh, let's talk about Bitcoin, Terry, because you found this story, and it's just like, I don't know, man. Ah! Tell me about how Bitcoin is going to kill us all. Bitcoin, uh, aside from just uh, stoking Elon Musk's ego until it engulfs the world uh, with, and leaves no room <laughs> for the rest of us, Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining uh, is, is horrifically uh, energy intensive. Right. Yeah. Um, and something like the the energy that's being used, I think, in 2020 to mine Bitcoin is greater than the energy usage of Argentina. So uh, as Bitcoin, the price of Bitcoin skyrockets and it's a uh, it's not it's no longer a currency, but a speculative instrument. Uh, the profit profit margins really come into play. And so 
Bitcoin is being mined in uh, where energy is cheapest. And so, like, in theory, if we had a renewable energy network um, in grid, this would not be a problem. But uh, where energy happens to be cheapest right now is places like China, uh, where uh, they're still using coal-fired plants. It's like where the cheapest energy in the world is. So a lot of Bitcoin is being uh, Xinyang. Is that how you pronounce? Uh, I'm terrible with Chinese geography which, and pronunciation. Which, which, well, so the, the image here is from uh, Sichuan, which okay. is in western, western uh, China. Up in the yeah, was, up in the mountains. Uh, later in the article, it's uh, X I A N J I N G. Is that Xinjiang? Xinjiang. Uh, Xinjiang. Uh, Xinjiang. That's up in that's in northwest. Um, it's the new the new western uh, provinces where all of the uh, the Uyghur situation is at. Hmm. Well, I guess uh, electricity there is about three cents a kilowatt hour. So that's where Jesus. Energy, actually, you're you're on that quote right right now. So Bloomberg reports. Bitcoin miners are drawn to Xinjiang because its power rates are extremely low, as little as uh, 0.22 yuan, which is three cents per kilowatt hour, compared with uh, 0.6.7 yuan in central China. So it's developing renewable wind turbine powered energy, but the majority right now uh, is generated by coal. So wow. uh, they're they're estimating that uh, that Bitcoin mining alone, and now I guess I, I didn't know any of this before this article, but. Uh, there's like 18 and a half million Bitcoins out there right now. And Bitcoin as a currency has a hard cap of 21 million. So yep. once once 21 million Bitcoins are mined, the mining gets shut down. <clears throat> well, the, uh, so the, the mining, the mining changes. It doesn't get shut down. But what it does is it is it transfers from because when you're doing Bitcoin mining, you're actually doing two different things. You're one running a hex algorithm to try and find the next block like basically your computer your gpu is doing a big math problem and if it gets the right answer like ta-da you get a bitcoin um and the other thing that it does is it keeps track of the blockchain because every single transaction that's ever happened in bitcoin is kept on one ledger that is searchable by anyone that has access to that bitcoin ledger so the people who are doing the mining will then transfer over to doing the upkeep only of that Bitcoin ledger. So as you're doing Bitcoin mining, the reason you're doing that is to upkeep the ledger. And part of that is that a reward for upkeeping the ledger is that occasionally you're going to be given a Bitcoin. It's basically uh, like a lottery ticket. Yeah. Uh, gotcha. But it's but that's a lot of computing power. Like as this ledger gets into the billions and trillions of entries and has to be continually updated, that's a lot of computing power that has to go into maintaining that data set. And that's going to become more and more and more intensive as Bitcoin gets used by more and more people or even just stays as a speculative asset and is traded every day. Like Bitcoin right now is trading at about $48,000 or so. I mean, it fluctuates wildly. Like Bitcoin can, can fluctuate 10% within a given day. So like the amount that a Bitcoin is actually worth is really a matter of chance based on the given second you, you make that transaction. Well, they're saying that it's more energy intensive than gold or platinum mining. So oh, yes. it's, uh, this is problematic. And, and the, what, it's 1% 1, 1 of global uh, energy consumption at the moment. And uh, I guess the, the, the takeaway here is current estimates are that Bitcoin alone could push us over two degrees Celsius global warming. Um, so uh, that's a problem. 
Well, and it's one of these things because we keep talking about moving to a cashless future. Like there's a lot of reason banks and governments would like to move to a purely digital currency. You know, not only is it harder to counterfeit stuff in the digital sphere, it's also easier to to control the flow of money and also to keep track on people's transactions. Like it's very hard for you to not pay your taxes if all of the money that you make and use is captured on an open legend that the government has access to. Like a cash and carry business that can like kind of skirt, you know, their their actual revenue and not pay as many taxes as they want. That becomes impossible if everybody's operating in Bitcoin or on Ethereum or pretty much like any other digital currency that's trackable. There are some completely anonymized digital currencies out there like Monero and other ones, but they still rely on the internet infrastructure and the banking infrastructure to an extent that we all use. Like at some point, even if you're using Bitcoin, if you want to extract your money out of that, you're going to have to turn it into dollars or pounds or won or whatever domestic currency you, you want to use it in. So very much like the value of gold relates to the dollar, the value of a Bitcoin is the same way. You know, if Bitcoin becoming worth more doesn't mean the Bitcoin's more valuable. It means that the value of the dollar is actually dropping against that asset. But at the same time, you're probably going to be converting your like, you know, your holdings in Bitcoin into actual cash dollars. And that's the, the you know, kind of still reserve currency that we're using. So it's going to be a tangled mess. Um, and it looks like Bitcoin, like the dream for Bitcoin was that one Bitcoin will get to about a quarter million dollars a piece because it's a scarce asset. Once we have 24 million Bitcoins mined and keep in mind about 30% of the Bitcoin out there is, no, I think it's 24 million. Is it? But um, we said 21 mined, earlier, but. Well, we've mined 21 million, but I believe it's 24 oh. million. Is the yeah? Because it's I all you like said it's, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's all it's all base six stuff. Remember, like yeah, yeah programmers yeah, yeah. like to think in base six, so whatever. Um, but <laughs> once those 24 million coins are mined, they become a scarce resource. Like you're not going to create any more Bitcoin, so their value should ostensibly go up as demand goes up. You know, supply, demand, that sort of stuff. Whether it ever gets to those sky high rates is, you know, questionable. But what is certain is that there are a bunch of corporations and institutional investors that own a significant chunk of Bitcoin. About forty percent of the forty percent of the Bitcoin out there is owned by like six firms, and that includes Tesla's one point five billion dollar buy into Bitcoin. And so what we're going to have is this semi-anonymized network with a very valuable asset where that market can be manipulated by massive players in that market for their gain and almost no traceability. Like when, when Elon Musk says, I'm buying $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin, and he buys in at $32,000, and after his announcement on Twitter, that Bitcoin jumps to $48,000, he just made a shit ton of money. Like he just gained 30% on the money that he just, on the Bitcoin that he just bought. That is a huge, huge incentive to manipulate the market, to do insider trading and to pull all sorts of weird accounting games like that. So uh, I don't like any of this. Um, I say we all go back to, to um, leaves and twigs and other things that we can just find around for barter. I think that's just the better way to go. To fight inflation, we just start forest fires. I have, I've planned this out. It all makes sense. Well, it's not right. it's not just governments watching your taxes. I mean, it, it, it is total, total surveillance. I mean, everything that you would buy, everything that you, everywhere that you work, everything that you do. I mean, it's it, it would be like really total, complete surveillance. And then the other problem is that, I mean, you know, Fed and the, and the World Bank, I mean, government financial institutions have their problems. 
But moving to a Bitcoin or a complete cryptocurrency economy takes monetary policy out of government hands. And the, you would not be able to, I mean, the, the, the stimulus package, the COVID relief package, the Green New Deal, you know, deficit spending can't do it. And that really, really will fuck us in the long run, in yep. the short run. So, you know, because we forget, you know, double entry bookkeeping, I don't know how that works. I didn't, didn't take economics classes, you know, but, but a government deficit is a private sector surplus, right? And so yeah. with the private sector wants the government to be spending debt because then they get, you know, that just goes to them. So, and, and all of a sudden that would be impossible. Uh, so, I mean, these kind of like anarchist, uh, you know, group uh, projects, you know, cryptocurrencies, it's all, it's all public ledger, it's all decentralized. Okay, great, but at times you really do need a, a centralized force that can direct things. So, yeah, yeah I, I'm saying maybe not back to sticks and twigs, but I'm seeing a lot of uh, discussion about <laughs> redesigning the, uh, the, the dollar and Harriet Tubman on the 20 and more. I mean, let's the cash man i mean yeah it's it's uh, the unhoused can use it you know it's good yeah yeah no and uh as we round this one out i'd just like to remind everyone that nevada's really stupid plan to basically give private corporations uh their own city and basically sovereignty over ah! like land that they control comes County. from a bitcoin mining operation that wanted to set up in nevada but wanted the ability to set their own water rights like they knew that it was going to be very hard to get all of the, the power, like hydropower that they would need to run their Bitcoin mining operation, as well as all of the water that they would need to cool all of those servers because those GPUs eat up a lot of power. They generate a lot of heat, especially when you have them running 24-7. So they're like, well, we don't really want to pay the going rate for these natural resources. Would you please give us the ability to get a cut rate and just steal water from other municipalities and counties around us? So uh, this is, you know, not great um hopefully you weren't holding a lot in dogecoin because it all uh it all went crashing down and that sucks um and i know we're going to keep seeing that story over and over and over again because we're in an economy where working for a living is no longer paying the bills anyways let's uh let's move on to stuff that we can do this week chris um i know we got some we got some good stuff coming up we do. Uh, this is our friendly reminder to go to bit.ly slash ggeventscal. Uh, that is, again, bit.ly slash ggeventscal, so you can get updated uh, on a pretty pretty frequent basis as to all of the things that are going on. Uh, this is the public-facing uh, calendar of events that Ground Game is managing. Um, starting tomorrow, uh, we're going to be doing back-to-the-live tweets as usual. There are a huge number of things on the city council agenda for tomorrow that are already uh, locked and loaded when it comes to they've already been uh, satisfied for their public comment, which means that people won't get to yell about uh, community uh, safety partnerships and all of that bullshit with the LAPD. But who knows? Maybe we'll be seeing some things happening. Um, I hope. Um, there is also, again, going to be. Oh, and uh, yes. Yeah, so Shelby is going to be joining me tomorrow. We're going to see how that goes. Uh, and we might start doing a bit of a rotating basis of, you know, banter buddies for me to have on board for the tweets, uh, and the stream, because that's a thing and it would be fun to have more people involved in that. Um, stop LAPD spying again is having a presser tomorrow morning at 9am. Uh, tune in for that. I'm sure it'll be up on their socials. Uh, it'll be good. Uh, it's hugely important. Um, 
also uh, that I mean, what do you mean? I don't I mean also that that's 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 what I've got. Uh, no, yeah, no I, knock at night this week. Belt of louder for the people in the back. We'll be back once again on Friday. Yeah, uh, we're we're talking uh, episodes uh, 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 three and three four. Three and four. Yeah. And then also Season this, one, three this and is. Four. Yeah, and then also uh, this is uh, kind of coming out of left field, but uh, LAFD CERT is doing a training on the 17th, oh, nice. which is going to be this Wednesday uh, from 7 to 9 about step-by-step earthquake response. And if you would like to find out how you can keep your neighborhood, your block, your house safe during a big earthquake, tune into that one. Uh, I will go ahead and put the link in the description, and I'll go ahead and share it on Twitter. But really, really valuable information to have, and I'll also include in there the Ground Game LA uh, emergency preparedness manual that we put together. Just some really handy tips like, hey, do you know where to find your gas shutoff valve? And hey, do you know if you've got enough water to make it for three days? And all of that fun stuff. Um, hopefully y'all can join us and stay safe there. Uh, but I think that about rounds us out. Oh, Terry, go ahead. Just draw a big chalk X on your door and let the professionals handle it. <laughs> Don't do that, folks. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, as always, if y'all have any events that you want us to be taking part in publicizing or just being made aware of, please send us a message. You can reach us through the Ground Game LA Facebook page on Facebook uh, and also over on Instagram and Twitter at Ground Game LA for both of those. This podcast and every Ground Game podcast is a production of Knock.LA. You can support our work on Patreon, patreon.com slash knock underscore LA, and you can score one of these sweet shirts with the Knock logo on it. Um, sadly, the face masks are way too small for my gigantic head, uh, but they do look cool. Um, yeah, so go ahead and check the description of this podcast for sources, links to actions, social media links, etc., etc., etc. Thank you very much for tuning in. This is, was a lot of fun, despite the fact that we live in a brutal hellscape that is 2021 and is a continuation of 2020. So, yeah. thank you, Terry. Thank you, thank Squirrel. Thank you. Thank See you. See you next week. Later. Bye. Oh, hopefully OBS won't crash twice. <laughs> <laughs> Just make right, city council pause what they're doing. Just be like, Nuri, <laughs> we crashed. Just time out for a second. We'll time out. <laughs> Rebooting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're going to care about that. All right. See you all later. Bye.